stay on top of all meaningful top trending stories right here on SAFM. Leading the conversation. Good morning. So as you and I start the week together, many dynamics swirling around the former president, Jacob Zuma. And in what's probably unrelated, the situation around truck attacks. And I think there's some anxiety around the violence that occurred in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng two years ago. Last week, the Constitutional Court rejected an appeal from Zuma. It appears to mean that a ruling of the Supreme Court of Appeal must now be implemented. Now... And that suggests that Zuma must return to jail. But there is some legal debate around how this plays out in reality. And in fact, I've seen two or three different views on what it actually means. The Jacob G. Zuma Foundation confirming on SFM earlier this morning that Zuma himself is now in Russia and that he's there for medical treatment. Uh, they did not, as far as I know, give a date on when he will return. I imagine the doctors will be in charge of that. Then we have the truck attacks, 21 trucks set alight in three provinces. Uh, about 10 minutes ago, you heard from the police brigadier at Lindemarte making the point, she said, as far as they know from the five people they've arrested, that this does appear to be linked to the employment of foreign nationals. So we start your coverage of all of this this morning with the political analyst and columnist, Dr. Ralph Matecha. Dr. Matecha, good morning. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to SFM listeners. Great to be chatting to you. The idea that Zuma could have to return to jail as a former president, as a someone as someone who's for many years had a huge following in some parts of the country, how difficult is this issue for government? I mean, it must be very difficult, uh, uh, Stephen, uh, but it is a principle. I mean, the principle constitutional democracy says uh, no one is above the law. So we should not be surprised at uh, such kind of an outcome of uh, our rule of law, of the functioning of our institution. But seeing that happening to a figure such as uh, former President Jacob Zuma, given the role he plays, and also, uh, I mean, President Jacob Zuma, a very influential character up to today, Stephen, it, it's quite uh, it's difficult for some to understand, and it's difficult for some to actually reconcile such kind of uh, development with the constitutional democracy. But it should not be seen as strange. Uh, it is just how things happen. It is how laws and the rule of law has to be obeyed. And if we are going to obey the rule of law, we should not see this turn of event as strange or as an aberration on our democracy. It's interesting watching different people making different comments about this. So the ANC said yesterday, no one wants to see, as I understand what Fakil Mbalula, the Secretary General, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, no one wants to see someone who's over the age of 80 going to jail, but the law is the law. And then he seemed to say, we'll leave it to government. What does that tell us? And I think that uh, the NC uh, here, Stephen, it's just saying, uh, like many commentators I've seen on this thing, including government institutions, you could say even the SAPS, when they are confronted with this, they're saying that we will hear what correctional services say to us. I mean, if you could, if you keep the can down and you state a principle that says the rule of law has to apply, but also at the same time, we are also being uh, uh, being, being, being led to understand, Stephen, empathize as well, that you're talking about an elderly pres- former president here. You're talking about someone who's quite very elderly. And at the same time, Stephen, the reality is also that you're talking about someone who's not repentant at all. The reality is that uh, President Jacob Zuma has never even came out as someone who, who's repentant on that and has always has fought his way all the way to the end. And uh, the person we're talking about here. Uh, it's not someone who is coming out as someone who can say uh, maybe some rehabilitation has happened. It would be very difficult to make that claim given how the position is taken in relation to this matter. 
Uh, Julius Malema, the leader of the EFF, and again I'll paraphrase, he said yesterday, he said over the weekend that President Cyril Ramaphosa must pardon Jacob Zuma. We must choose peace above all other things. How do you read that? I mean, Stephen, a pardon is up to the president's discretion, but you cannot and you should not try to use that discretion arbitrarily, particularly where clearly you are being seen as abetting uh, the, the rule of law. And, and here, the court's position here is to say that the rule of law has to be seen happening. Can you actually use a pardon? Where does it stop? From here, uh, where do you then go in using the pardons? I mean, if you look at South Africa, uh, the political figures in South Africa, some of the problems that you are looking at, you might as well start compiling a list of pardons even before you get your conviction. Where does it actually stop? So I think we need to understand the principle here. The principle is the rule of law has to be seen up, uh, being applied. It is up to the correctional service to decide how the sentence can be served. Of course, it is their discretion. And also, Stephen, as they use the discretion as Department of Correctional Service, they cannot use it to be seen uh, evading uh, or trying to frustrate the, the implementation of the rule of law. It has to be seen in the spirit of constitutional democracy where we respect our institutions. Um, Zuma at times, I mean, was the unstoppable tsunami famously, he had immense political power. How is that political party, how is that political power now? How do we assess that? A lot's changed since he was president. I mean, Stephen, when you hear the Secretary General of the ANC saying the rule of law has to be seen uh, being applied, and at the same time saying it's quite hard to see an elderly leader uh, going to jail, uh, you, you are hearing the ANC here, it's a measure shift. Uh, it's applying to the empathy on this story, but at the same time, the ANC is now being called upon and, and clearly standing to that saying that, look, the rule of law has to be seen being applied. And the ANC is in charge of government here. If it, does, if it is not uh, standing up as a custodian of the rule of law as government, it will not be able to govern in a system of chaos because you have to, you, you can only govern through the law, Stephen, and you have to respect the law and it's that right here. Um, within all of this, there are big questions about this issue, the rule of law and violent crime. Uh, we've seen the truck attacks, which are probably nothing to do with Zuma, from what we understand, as far as we know at this stage, or certainly from what the police told us this morning. But violent crime has risen and risen dramatically since the end of the pandemic. And I think one of the things is a sense of impunity. Um, and I'm not talking about politicians now. I'm talking about criminals now. Is violent crime about to become a big political issue in our country, Dr. Matecha? It is a, a big political issue, Stephen, and I'll take you uh, far back. In 2007, we wrote the African Peer Review Mechanism Report. I was part of the team that played a role uh, as part of the NGO. And one of the issues, and, and we were working in partnership with government by then, uh, one of the issues that came out was the problem of transporter crime and how South Africa's technology was making us susceptible to uh, the possibility of a, a surge in crime, just simply because there is just infrastructure, you've got ATMs and all this. All of these things mean that the country can be vulnerable, and given the opening of South Africa post-1994. So some of those issues were brought in in research that we need to be looking at that as a, as a possibility. It was back in 2007, and it was ignored, and it was being seen as sensitive. The problem is we look at crime from the point of view of emotional sensitivity, whereby we don't want to be looking within ourselves to be saying certain mechanisms has to be in place within the state to be able to control crime. And that talks to the capacity of the state. So the capacity of the state to 
be seen implementing those basic rules. Security is the most fundamental basic rule. When you go around, you start seeing Stephen communities sometimes being frustrated, uh, trying to do their own security on their own. It becomes quite difficult. They, they, they are not trained. There are some challenges. But all of this points to capacity of the state to be seen reigning in violent crime. For me, if the state can do that, that would be the first most important indication that we are turning things around still. Dr. Rolf Matecha, thank you. The political analyst and columnist do appreciate it. 20 minutes after 70 with SAFM. Listening to that, Dr. Yaki Saliers, a founder at the Institute for Security Studies. Dr. Saliers, good morning to you. We have five arrests now for the truck attacks. Police do seem to be making progress, but we have seen this rise in violent crime. I suppose we're really talking about the capacity of the state. Does the state have the capacity to deal with something like the truck attacks that we've seen? Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Well, um, very clearly, um, we've again seen uh, challenges with regard to uh, intelligence detective works. And what has happened is that, uh, interestingly enough, of course, the apprehension started with private security um, bringing the uh, criminals to book um, and not through the police. And that has now opened up, it seems, for additional culprits to be apprehended. Um, But this is very clearly, as you indicated, linked to a high level of organized crime syndicates that are obviously well connected um, within the trucking and the minerals complex. And there seems to be an ongoing challenge for government um, to deal with this. And and very clearly, there are issues with regard to political connections and money that is exchanging hands. So one one is concerned about the capacity, the lack of detective capacity, the lack of uh, capacity within the criminal justice system generally, and of course, with uh, within the intelligence systems to be able to respond effectively. What is interesting is to see the extent to which we now more almost more regularly uh, see the willingness uh, to deploy the SANDF, uh, although um, I think the uh, issues around the doctrine and the training and the equipping of the SANDF to be able to play a role here still, of course, needs a huge effort. There's so many different elements to all of this, but all of this, I think one of the reasons that people are talking about it in the way in which they are is simply what I think is just the coincidence of timing, the second anniversary of what happened two years ago. And there does not appear to be a link. Let me just make this very clear. From what I know, there's no link between the violence in the trucking industry and what happened two years ago. But what people do remember from two years ago was the fact that it looked like police were doing nothing. I remember taking a call from Kalani, a police officer, who told us he had no rubber bullets and nothing to stop the violence with. Has anything changed since then to help the capacity of the police? We we don't know. Um, certainly what we have is a, degree, a greater degree of stability within the police um, with the ongoing fights between the National Commissioner and the uh, police minister having to degree been put to bed. <clears throat> but the main challenges within uh, the policing is just simply effective management. Uh, that's been the problem for many, many years. We have very bloated, top-heavy uh, police, and the focus is uh, on uh, boots on the ground and not in investing in the capabilities that really can uh, respond to that. As I mentioned previously, detective services um, and dealing away with the issues of uh, trying to use technology as a replacement for effective uh, management of 
critical matters like um, detectives, uh, forensics, uh, uh, arms, the central firearms registry. These are the things that if you change them, um, can really uh, change South Africa. We must remember that organized crime is a, is a, is, is a minority business. It's a small group of uh, people with lots of money that um, have inordinate capacity. And to respond to that, you need a dedicated intelligence-led effort. And what we have is let's put more boots on the ground. Let's try and find technology to try and deal with um, sort of widespread challenges, while what we should be doing is a much more targeted uh, effort uh, at intelligence-led policing, prosecutions-led policing that can bring criminals to book. So those kind of reforms obviously would work. Um, if we look again at the violence two years ago, very few people have been arrested and even fewer have been <coughs> held legally accountable. That's surely a major problem. If people are not held accountable for violence or the threat of violence, they'll use it again. And that, in a way, is what people are thinking about. Yes, I mean, the, the, the issue is that the rule of law in South Africa is so slowly crumbling and there's no uh, clear political intent within the governing party, within government as a whole, to really turn this around. It can be turned around. It requires political will. It requires dedicated effort. It can be done. Uh, it has been done. Look at SARS, and you can use many examples where a dedicated effort uh, y uh, yields results, but we, we are not seeing that. Um, so uh, one, one remains concerned. Uh, the Institute runs a massive crime hub where we track cr crime in South Africa. And our main concern, as with many areas of government policy, is that uh, government policy is not informed by evidence. It is informed by ideology and by personality. And, and that it's a huge frustration in terms of people working, trying to, to assist and trying to inform government policy. It would seem to me that the emotion around violent crime and the apparent breakdown in the rule of law is going to only increase ahead of an election. People are very frustrated yes. and people are scared. That's going to have an impact on our politics. Yes, and I'm, I'm afraid, you know, what happened two years ago is that the factional violence struggles within the ANC became a national problem. It spilled over. Now, what has happened in the meanwhile is that the RET faction within the ANC is uh, is uh, been neutralized in a sense. The party is slightly less divided and factionalized than it was. So uh, it's more, uh, uh, I wouldn't say tightly controlled, but there seems to be a, a greater degree of uh, coherence within the party. So we're hoping that that kind of violence will not spill over again. But now what we have, of course, is uh, inter-party competition. And that will elevate things. Uh, people like uh, Julius Malema and others will uh, try and turn up the political rhetoric. Um, so will uh, events in the Western Cape and in particularly in KwaZulu-Natal, which I think is headed for a, probably uh, a change in, in, in government. So uh, that heat is going to spill over, I think, into the broader public. And we're heading for difficult times, which means that it's so important that the police uh, and, and the other elements of the criminal justice system, um, uh, that they are dedicated and that they have the will and the, the capacity to be able to respond to this. But as we've seen, is that the focus is on VIP protection rather than it is on, uh, on, on fixing these critical issues like detectives and appropriate training. So we sort of see, I wouldn't call them constables, but you see efforts to bring poorly trained um, policemen, not policemen and women, onto the streets in Johannesburg. It's bound to be a disaster.
Dr. Yaki Silias, thank you, the founder at Institute for Security Studies.